Today, once again, we will have my Kappa D101, how to prepare, or how to prepare, preserve, pickle, and eat wild and not so wild mushrooms. We've got Stephanie Kovalik and Kathy Lambrook. Right. I know everybody calls me Kathy, but I do occasionally like to go by the formal thing. By the formal. Today's formal? Well, at least for the initial phase. So today you can be Catherine and I'll go informal and I'll be Steph. <laughs> we'll kind of like then we have to places. Keep, then we have to keep going. All right, here we go. Kathy, Catherine, Stephanie, Steph, we are very pleased and honored to be here today and speaking to... I think one of our favorite clubs. The home crowd. The home crowd, the IMA. Yep. Yep. The last time we were out speaking together was at the National Foray in Cable, Wisconsin. That was a what? year and a half ago? Three years ago. Thank you. Yeah, yeah. Ago. And four years ago was the last time we did it for the club. Has it been that long? I was shocked myself. It's been way too long. So we prepared a few of new recipes and some new material. But since it's four years, they probably forgot the last time we were here. And yeah, but we, some we, new faces. we but we remember, and we don't want to be boring. <laughs> <laughs> Kathy and I have been members. I guess I can now say I'm a longtime member of the club. It's been maybe about ten years since I've been in the club. Right. And uh, in you, excess of 30 years. So together we've got about 34 40 years of year. IMA experience over here. We are also part of some other organizations yep. together, some of which are spearheaded by Kathy. She is the leader of the Greater Midwest Foodways mm -hmm. Alliance. Yep. She is with Culinary Historians of Chicago, Highland Park Historical Society. Yeah. I know how to drive myself crazy. Yeah, yeah. It goes around to all the state fairs talking yep. about food and yep. holding contests. Yep. Today, we want to talk to you about one of our favorite things to eat, mushrooms. mushrooms. Yeah, <laughs> can't, can't beat it. It's usually how most of us began this hobby, and then it branched out. Yeah, I know certainly for myself, what led me to the woods was trying to find tasty mushrooms for the frying pan, hands down. I discovered so much more along the way. But yeah, it started with the frying pan. And Stephanie is Miss Ultra Organized. She's really, really organized. And she is very good at making speeches because she goes to Toastmasters. There we go. She keeps trying to get me to go. Well, I just don't need another Eventually, I know, I know, else. I know. Just don't need it at the moment. And just a real terrific person. But thank you. And she speaks French. And I have to say that one of the best <laughs> things about the IMA has really been my friendship with Kathy. Thank you I so mean, much. Thank you so much. Knew it. Yes. Oh, well, you yeah. <laughs> I like you even more than mushrooms. <laughs> That's even better. <laughs> yeah, let's keep it, you know, PG here. Okay. Let's get going. So let's get going. All right. So I wanted to come this time with a few new things to kind of like stir things up. And one of these, and actually I'm still not 100% sure if I'm talking yeast, a primitive fungi, or we're talking a bacteria, I really don't know. Pat, you may have an opinion you could share later. But um, I was in Fort Wayne, Indiana, and they had this like little package of I don't know what, and I was with a friend who immediately recognized what they were. They were for making rice wine. And I'm like, what do you mean rice wine? Now let me tell you what a fooler this is. I bought this bag for like about five, six dollars down in Chinatown. My parents each have tried to eat this as a candy. And it's not, they both spit it out pretty fast. That's good. <laughs> but, and that rice wine, it actually made that, plus I filled mostly this container, which I managed to mostly empty on the road here tonight. 
um, within about three, four days. And it's really good because the rice wine you buy at the store is kind of salty, it's whatever, but this is about as fresh as it gets. And it's like extremely easy to make. So first you got the ball, right? Right, you know, it's like very exciting. Destroy something. Ah. <laughs> so there we got, we got a, ooh, sorry. Oh, we barely had a hole in the plastic bag. We just learned that, and nobody's sniffing it here. I don't know what would happen if you did, but, um, so this is rice. There's several ways. It, it seems to be kind of like whichever grandma you consult, she'll have her way of doing things. Some of them soak the rice before. Some of them just go ahead and cook it with a lot of water. I just sort of went ahead and today and cooked it with a lot of water. I had originally planned to make it again like over the weekend, but I managed to be out of the house most of the weekend, which for me was good. The weather was nice. So here's about a pound of rice that was cooked with some water and you just kind of flatten it out. Now, of course, it was easier when it was warm. Right now, not as easy. Oh, here, you can hold it up. This is glutinous rice. You can use any rice, but apparently glutinous is sweeter tasting. I don't know, I, don't, I haven't made a comparison batch to find out. Anyway, you would flatten this out a little bit more. Well, this thing is just having fun. You already have a hole in the bottom of the bag. You didn't need to open the top. Yeah, I, I know, but you're right. You're right. You're right. And what I've been doing is just kind of like folding it over, kind of like you're doing laminated dough or something. Because what you really do... Oh, no, I still need that. I'm not finished. And you just keep putting this... And basically, you. I'll, when I get home tonight, I'll put this in the oven at about 100 degrees what I would use for proofing dough. And tomorrow I'll even start to see some liquid starting to percolate out of it. What kind of vessel are you gonna put it in when you put it in the oven? Well, in this case, because I like to look what's going on, I'm gonna put it in a Pyrex um, baking dish. Is so it important just, that it's non-reactive? Uh, probably it's a good idea. I mean, why give it less? That's really it to it. Just these silly little balls. And I mean, I have extra, so if you want to take, oh, I can't say I have a ball for everybody, but I probably could take care of most of the room. Edible science experiment. <laughs> right, and you could taste what it's like and go, wow, or go, ooh. But in Chinese cooking, this Shaoxing wine, the rice wine, you're using it all the time. And now that I found how quick and easy it is to do, I don't think I'm gonna be buying it at the store. So that's, Number one fun thing you could do with fungi that you just didn't know about. All right, man. It becomes mushy. So what happens is the liquid's kind of like on the bottom. The rice itself sort of gets nice and sweet. And in fact, one of the, one of the recipes here is for, uh, I think, a rice, a sweet rice dessert made with basically what's the leftovers of the process. But if it starts getting moldy, give up. <laughs> I mean, like moldy, moldy, like, you know, turning pink and blue fuzzy things, you know, stuff like that. All right, Steph, your turn. Well, a little bit of a segue. And we're going to have samples the, later. Yeah, there's some uh, paper cups and some plastic cups uh, floating around. Anybody who would want to have a chance of, uh, to give it a try. 
Another thing to sort of segue in from where Kathy was talking about the rice wine, we thought today would be nice for those people who have maybe never tried kombucha. This is not uh, moonshine, but this is something that's become quite popular in the last few years. This is a fermented sweet tea. I'm going to have to make sure that I don't uh, misinform you here. So it's a sweetened <laughs> uh, black tea. Uh, and it is, I lost my page. I remember a few years ago when Rebecca was involved, she would have people come and bring... Do oh, the coffee, right? Or tea, whatever it was. They called it coffee, though. Oh, okay. Yeah. So this is actually formed from sweetened tea and then a mixture of bacteria and yeast. And many people believe it has quite a bit of health properties. And if anybody would like a taste here, I can pour you some as we go along, or this will be then in the back of the room for anybody who would like to have some. This particular one is ginger lemon. As I'm pouring a few of these, though, I want to not neglect to thank a lot of the people who helped make this program possible today. Of course, the IMA and the leadership and the board. But Kathy and I also want to take, say thank you to our families who yes. have tasted a lot of these recipes that we're making and done a lot. And of they're still alive. Yeah. They're still alive. They're still alive. And then I, in particular, want to say thank you to two people who really made this happen this evening. They're sitting in the back. There's my mom, Maria, for some of you might know her, some of you might remember her. And then Mike, my boyfriend, sitting right next to her. Mike enjoys procuring a lot of ingredients, and you know, we have like pomegranate molasses, things like that, that we used in some of the recipes. And so he was tremendously helpful in doing that, and some taste testing, right? Oh, and he chopped all of the mushrooms for the Fess and John. Yes. A hero. Kathy, do you want to start talking about the Duxette and I'll bring this in the back? Okay, fine. So, um, you know, we sometimes bring home more mushrooms than we can handle. Or we go to the store and we get a good deal. Or in my case, I get the good deal and I'm leaving town for the next week. And so, um, and this happened recently. Uh, and I was like, well, I know when I come back, it will still be in the refrigerator but it won't be very good. So I need to do something with it, and I need to do something quick. So I started making duxels with it. You said. <laughs> and so, um, and, and it, you know, and it's a very versatile thing. It is. And in, in addition to versatile, it's something, now we're using here, you know, mushrooms you could buy in the store because we're not crazy about liability issues. <laughs> Uh, and you can see, you can hear the butter. That's, that's your food talking to you. Anyway, it's a very simple preparation. I've already chopped up some um, shallots. shallots. Thank you. And I think shallots are the key here. Shouldn't be any kind of regular onion. Shallots are what are going to really give the delicate flavor to the, uh, to the dish without overpowering the mushroom taste. But they're going to take a couple of minutes. And since we're not on TV, I don't have totally everything prepared in advance, but we have a few things of what you can do with duxelle. Yeah, that was one of the reasons we selected this uh, preparation to do with you today is because of the versatility and everything that you can do with it. 
for me, um, being French, having a savory crepe, laying down some duxelle, rolling it up, and having that as the principal part of a meal with a green salad is a wonderful option. Kathy, you mentioned a couple of Italian things, uh, ravioli filling. Ravioli, lasagna. And as a layer in the lasagna. Soup. Soup, always a good base for the soup. And if it's something that you've got in the freezer, you can just pull it out, drop it in the soup, and right away enrich the soup. Even if it's not going to be a mushroom soup, it'll give you a nice flavor for the, now last, for the soup. Last week, I had cookbook club at the same time last week. And I was bringing a mushroom risotto. I'm not going to take two ounces of bolites that I won at the holiday party and give it up to my friends at the Mushroom Club. I'm sorry. <laughs> I like them, but I'm not that stupid. Um, so I made the duxels, and I did a few things. I got, I never used it before, Oh, but this is one of those uh, bolite bullion cubes. I use this all the time. See? Yes, See? yes, yes, See? yes. And that, so that, that gave the underlying, you know, mushroom flavor. And then I took the duxels and threw that in so they had, they could see mushrooms. Yeah. And this you can find in a lot of uh, Eastern European um, grocery stores, typically where you'll find the, the chicken bullion cubes or beef bullion cubes in the same area, but you just have to look for the bolite on the package. And it's very versatile. Right. And you don't have to give up your really good stuff. <laughs> I mean, you know what I mean? Come on. Now, this is, this is uh, some cremony mushrooms. These got, I'm, I'm, I just didn't want to bring too much hardware with me. So these got cranked up in the Cuisinart about 6 o'clock tonight. Yeah. So this is about two pounds of mushrooms. But already you can see, you know, it's reduced. It's easy to... And I'll cook that now. This is going to take a little bit. And did you squeeze the water out of it? No. No. So I did not do what Julia said. Yeah. Julia. So the, the traditional uh, preparation is once the mushrooms have been chopped very fine, is you put them in a very thin towel and you get them going, you squeeze the, um, you wring, you wring the water out of the mushrooms as much as you can before you cook them. So it does reduce the cooking time significantly. Oftentimes, it's just one more thing to put in the, the washer, and I do exactly what Kathy did, is I don't wring them out. But it, well, you know, hey. Um, and you do lose some mushroom flavor, you know, when you're wringing out the juice, but it does take longer to cook. Right. Because for most preparations with the duxel, you want to make sure that you've evaporated most of the water out before you use it. For example, we didn't finish our list of things you can do with it. Beef Wellington, that classic of the 60s or 70s or whenever Beef Wellington was popular. Chef Ramsay does it all the time. Yeah, see Beef Wellington should be coming back, right? That right. and Lobster Thermidor. I wouldn't That's what that. I'm saying. Um, now, we uh, do have some recipes up here. Don't come up right now because we have this heat, heated up, but the duck cell recipe along with serving suggestions is right here on the corner of the table. Don't leave without it. So I'm a fan of Serious Eats. Uh, and I really like Kenji Alt because, darn it, he came from, you know, the, the uh, Cook's Illustrated America's Test Kitchen background. And so I've been making a bunch of his pizzas. The Detroit pizza is a winner, winner, chicken dinner. Oh, yeah. Do you want to tell them about that a little bit now? Because it's, uh, it's ready for the... the right, right. Well, that's exactly Detroit pizza. But here, oh, so here was the deal. So he had a mushroom pizza 
And what he did, he put doxels. He put, actually in this case, fresh Parmesan, but I used you know whole fat Parmesan, I didn't put fresh. And then he put mushrooms on top and he baked it you know, in the oven very quickly under a broiler. Well, a few weeks ago, I saw a recipe out there that I had been wanting to make. It was one, it's a French dish. It's the one with the pan, it's sort of like a pancake, but with the creme fraiche, the bacon, and the onions. Flambe, what? Yes. Thank you very much. You learned something. There we go. And he, and, and there were two methods for making it. One. Yes, Alsatian. Yeah. And I had been wanting to make this because like about 10, 15 years ago at the Chris Crindle Market in Chicago, they had a guy with a wood burning oven and he was just cranking these out and I never got there and he never came back. Uh -huh. So I've been like, oh, he's sort of jealous about that situation. <laughs> I know, well, you know, that's how I live. And, uh, <laughs> but they had a version on, on Serious Eats where you made it with fresh dough, or you made it using a flour tortilla. Now that sounds really strange. Yes, why, if you want, you could just sort of pass that tin around. Oh yeah. If they know where it is. So, you take the ugly side down, you put the duxels on here, but you do everything thin. You don't put a heavy amount, because in fact that's one of the things we're doing right now. There's already moisture coming to the top with these things. It's going to take a little bit. But I, these frozen duxels that I had this afternoon, I cooked them again just to reduce the liquid. Yeah. So you put a thin layer on there. Now, sorry. Do you oil back, it? Back up, back up, back up. Here's, here's what I'm forgetting. I'm so excited to tell you this, I'm forgetting the steps. So you turn on the broiler, and you have it where you set it where it's like about like six, seven inches below the broiler. Okay. Crank up the broiler to high. Take a cast iron pan, put it on the stove, get it hot. Ah. Pour about a teaspoon of, of olive oil or something in there. You don't want it where it's smoking, you want it where it shimmers. Then you go in with a paper towel and you wipe it down. Sorry. Then you put this in. Now, he made a point of saying that the ugly side should be down. Okay. Maybe it's the other way. I don't remember the article anymore. Then you put the duxels. Then you put the cheese. Then you put fresh mushrooms. In my case, I did some fresh mushrooms, and I did some lightly cooked mushrooms because I didn't read the instructions, you know. <laughs> uh, put it under the broiler. And I put it, set the timer for four minutes, but I kept checking it about every minute. And it's the most intense mushroom pizza you've probably had, right? And really, it's it's like a cracker crust, Chicago-style cracker crust yes. tavern pizza. Yes. Absolutely. No, you'll see it as it's coming around. Yes. Now, okay, sorry, it has been sitting, I made these about 5 o'clock this evening. They were cracker crunchy then, but, you know, then I had to cut them up and stack them. And by the way, you probably are not going to appreciate it, but the slicing of this pizza was done this way. I sliced it down the middle, and then this way going across. Yeah. So each piece has an edge and a middle. It's very diplomatic. <laughs> this style of cutting the pizza happens out in the Quad Cities, and it also happens at a place called John's Pizza 
in uh, Northwest Indiana. All right. See, I had all these stories to go with Thank it. Thank you. And I think it's really good. And actually, it's the first time I finally got around to making it. Because I've been talking about it, and I've been doing some, you know, whatever. Anyway, I finally had everything together to finally do it. It's delicious, I think. I think. Go ahead, Steph. Uh, well, you know, are we going to talk more about the Gixel, or I wanted to uh, mention something about the lovely soup? Go about the lovely yeah. soup. May I put you on the spot and ask you to introduce yourself to the club and say a little bit about the wonderful soup you brought to share with the club today? No, because it was fantastic. Yes, and, I know and very generous. I'd like to know where the where the soup came from. Um, sure, I'm Alicia, and I don't cook anything, <laughs> so I went to a restaurant which we've been to before, and it's got the best mushroom soup I've ever had. How do we pronounce it? Libanais. Libanais. Yeah. Libanais. Libanais. It's on uh, Devon and McCormick. Now, is it a Muslim restaurant? It's Lebanese. So they used to be a little bit... Um, Mike, where were they before they moved? They used to be on two just east of Cicero, across from Cisarina. Okay. And in a small strip mall. But now they have um, a great giant building with a little bit of a clock tower. Yes. I kind of yes. like... That's how I spot it there. Yeah. A lot of French croissant, and, but also baklava, and oh, yeah, different kinds of pastries. I didn't know for the pastries. soup. Yeah. But yeah. the soup is to die for. Thank you very much, Alicia. Now, didn't you put some Does of the ducks cool like out of mushroom soup? Pardon? Does it cool like the mushroom soup in the menu, or it can be different? How is it referred to on the menu? Is it called mushroom soup? They have a, a different soup every day, they say, but they seem to have mushroom soup every day. <laughs> so I usually call ahead of time to make sure they have mushroom soup. So. Yeah, yeah, yeah. L e b a n a, right? No, it's like N a i s, something like that. L i b a n a i s. Yeah. All right. L i b a n a i s. Oh, I think there's probably. If I was tasting it, I would bet there's cream in there. There's lots of cream. I can yeah. The sorry. Oh, which comes to to a good point. So in the back we have some samples. So. There are Duxelles on crackers. The Duxelles, they do have dairy products in it, but no meat. And there are two different types of crackers. The round crackers are rice crackers, and they're gluten-free. And the square crackers are organic wheat crackers. There are also little cups of a dish we'll be talking about later called Fessenjan. That dish is vegan. However, there are nuts in it, quite a few walnuts in it, if anybody might have a trouble with, uh, with walnuts. Kathy has also prepared a uh, dish we'll talk about later, some pickled mushrooms. Pickled mushrooms. Vegan? Uh, yeah, I think there's no butter. Yeah. It's yeah. Gotta, I, you know, whatever, if you're vegan, it's up to you to tell me what's wrong with what I did. I but, don't know. But, it's, but you, did, you didn't add any bacon to the mushrooms? Not at all. Okay, so. Not at all. Um, and then, uh, what else do we have back there? We've got the kombucha, and we've got a porcini shortbread cookie. Oh, I want one of those. Who brought that? I don't know. I've seen those yeah, I don't know anything about that. Quickly, I'm going to take for one. Was that the Detroit pizza? Detroit, no, this is, that mushroom pizza is something else. Detroit pizza is another Kenji Oak. Uh, if anybody's familiar with Burt's Pizza, um, in Morton Grove, 
Um, to me, this tastes like Burke's pizza. But you can make it at home for a lot less money. Yeah, porcini shortbread. Wow. Porcini shortbread. Oh, these are good. In the shape of morels. <laughs> when you make them in the shape of morels, they taste like morels too? Or <laughs> Thank you very much for bringing these and sharing them with the group. It takes a while to make ducks. We'll, we'll just carry on to oh, other things for the moment. They're good. What, what is that that was on those small crackers? Looks like caviar. So that's it. Looks like caviar. There Ooh. you go. Duke said another word, poor man's caviar. That's exactly what uh, Kathy is preparing right here. That's it. Yeah. And at home, sometimes if we have um, very simply the Duxelle on a toast point, we add a little bit of um, soft goat cheese on top. Wow. And it looks pretty, and it's a really nice counterpoint to the, um, to the Duxelle. Yeah. Sir? If you're making uh, Duxelle at home, can you take the mushrooms and just put them on a cookie sheet and dry them at 100 degree oven for no. a little bit rather than squeeze them out and leave all the no. You, you oh, you don't, you don't lose that much juice. They're, they still retain a lot. And that, even, when, even when you wring them through, they're still going to give out uh, juice in the, um, in the pot just because you're also chopping them up super, super fine. So that's breaking all of the structure in there. And just immediately they begin to weep. So you don't food process them to get really small. Oh, yeah, I do. Oh, yeah. Well, I mean, you can't. I mean, I have known to spend a lot of time chopping things, but yeah. sometimes I tell it to happen. But it's it. one of those things that it's not. It works super well. Pulse setting on the the cuisine or the food processor, and just wait until they get um, very small. Yeah, I would not take the time to to chop duxel. It's not not worth it. Oh, question, Gail. You guys are wonderful. So, could we have cooking more often and change the name of the club to the Mushroom and Grazing? <laughs> oh. <laughs> oh. <laughs> I, you'll have to talk to the leadership of the club and see if they'll have us. And then you have to talk to me and go, what? Oh, you'll do it. <laughs> you'll do it. Right, but well, let me just, because this is still cooking, it's going to take a while. So I'll go on to the pickled mushrooms if that's okay. Yeah, please. And give the, the story about uh, the, the, how you got the recipe of this. Oh, because I know I know some people know the source of the recipe. Oh, question before we go on. Will you have all those recipes uh, online? Uh, online, no, but they're right here at the edge of the table. <coughs> yeah, because yeah, uh, <coughs> no, you know what? We're generous, but we want to keep things for our club. You know, like the little cookbook that we make for you. Mm. That's you know for us. Okay, so good. <coughs> so. <sighs> We have a person, he's no longer with us. And his, Dominic Satori. Remember Dominic? Yes. Yeah. And a very nice man, uh, loved his food, loved his mushrooms. I remember one time he got very excited. He wanted to grow porcini. <laughs> he wanted to bring inoculated oak trees, I think it was, from Italy. There was just this problem called the, yeah. the you know, the United States. What is it? The Forest Preserve and whatever. USDA. USDA, that's right. But he had all these great ideas and it just wasn't going to pass mustard with the authorities. And uh, he had a wonderful wife who cooked by the tip of her nose, as they say. Yeah. And she, he would, she would make something for dinner. He loved it. Two, three weeks later, go, could you make that again? It was wonderful. I don't know how I did it. Yeah. <laughs> this was often the problem. So to get a recipe from her, everything was an approximate. But they were also very um, 
Okay, so I'm a, in addition to what I do here, I also used to be a master food preserver volunteer with the um, University of Illinois. So I have all that book learned about preserving, keeping us safe, and I got into trouble with Dominic because he had their personal recipe, and then I tried to make it food safe. And then he says, well, that's what happens when you, have a, when you give a recipe to a woman who's not married. Oh, my God. There, there was a whole oh, no. thing. There was a whole thing that went on. Uh, and at the time, uh, I had one of these jobs that, thank God, I didn't keep too long. I was newsletter editor for a while. I've done everything in this club. I was lousy at 4 that was a job I'm so glad they took away from me because I just could not keep up with that. But uh, the only thing I haven't done is treasurer. Ah. I've been president, secretary, programs, but never, never treasurer. So anyway, so I get this recipe, I put it in the newsletter, modified for food safety, and he goes and tears me a new one. So the next month there is sort of a kind of a retraction of him explaining why this was not a proper recipe from his family. Well, here was one of the things that they did. They would pickle the mushrooms, put it in a jar, pour olive oil on it, and stick it on a shelf. Just what could happen makes me cringe. <laughs> <laughs> so, I, he's not around anymore. No question. <laughs> so this time, I slightly modified it without knowing that I wasn't going to get yelled at later, um, where you're not putting it in the olive oil. If that's your taste, fine. Mix it in olive oil before you have it. Mix it the day before, but put it in the refrigerator. Because you don't want an anaerobic situation. Yes, it's been acidulated, but is it really enough? You don't know. I don't, and I don't want to be responsible for the consequences. So what we have done in the last few years Cook's Illustrated had a basic recipe yeah. for a quick pickle using rice wine. A rice, rice vinegar, wine vinegar. Rice vinegar. And so I've been using that um, for the last several years. I've usually seasoned it to uh, Tony Jandasek's wife. Another uh, longtime member of the club, a Czechoslovakian member. Czechoslovakian. Yeah. But I knew her base recipe came from the Time Life series. Okay. So I knew, you know, but the, so the seasoning is really good. This time I did it to Dominic's wife's, and she actually had two versions. It's very interesting. So this one has bay leaf, cinnamon stick, black pepper, garlic slices, and some clove. Well, and that's all she tells you, so you have to kind of like use your best judgment. So I only put two cloves, because clove can really just take over. Bay leaf has the same thing, so I only put, I think, one or two. And then I made roughly a gallon of pickled mushrooms, and basically what I did is I went over to H Mart and bought just about everything that looked interesting, except for um, oysters that were tinted yellow. Because I've learned from making these in the past, it looks great yellow, but when you cook it or process it, it changes back to looking like an oyster. Just like the fancy uh, cauliflowers, you know? Yeah. yeah. It's not worth the extra cost if in the end. But one thing I figured out that I'm kind of excited about um, sorry, now we're getting where it's coming close. So I have to keep stirring to keep it from spitting. It smells um, good. So I like mushu pork. Two of the classic ingredients for mushu pork is tree ear mushrooms. You can get them fresh at H Mart. 
for very little money, relative so, to everything. Maybe for the, the people who are not familiar with HMART, if you're not familiar with HMART, which is close in this area, I'd encourage you to get familiar with it. It's a great resource. It's a Korean supermarket, and it's located at the corner of Waukegan and Oakton. And Oakton. It's right by the Niles Public Library. You see the sign, I think, more prominently for the Home Depot, which is there, and then HMART is right next door. And there are just a great variety of cultivated wild-ish mushrooms. So during the winter time, or if you're not able to find anything tasty outside to bring home and drop in the frying pan, it's a nice resource. And the cultivated ones, clean. No cleaning. Very nice. <laughs> but, but, but some of them are also sitting like the anoki um, are sitting on their, like their... their they're, they're growing material. Yeah, they're substrate. Yeah, so you need to kind of like cut There's them. There's uh, a uh, Asi. Asi market, yeah. And then there is another Jumbo. Yes. Oh, yes. yes. There, it's everywhere. With the, with the, with the, and the, the one. Yeah, yeah. You're supposed to cut the bottom off of that anoking, aren't you? Yeah. Yeah, in Chicago is on Kimball or Kedzie by Lawrence. It's the Jimbu, yeah. yeah. But the one on on, uh, on Milwaukee is a little bit inside. You have to really like know it's there. At least a lot of the signage has improved. Yeah. But they have a uh, food court on the second floor. Yeah. <laughs> uh, we've all been there, you know. Yeah. Um, I'm going to turn this down a little bit. Um, <laughs> Oh, so for the mushu pork, so the mushu pork, the two classic ingredients that you usually get dried and reconstitute are those mushrooms, the tree ear mushrooms, and lily buds. Well, we're spring. And if in about another month, we're going to have those funny orange lilies all over the place. The day lilies that bloom just for the day and then go away. You can eat them. You can put them in your mushu pork. And so last year, I, we have some up on our side yard. I spent a lot of time eating them because they were tasty, and I thought it was kind of fun. But this year, I'm going to go get the tree air mushrooms and do mushu pork. Okay, yeah. So stuff. What do you want to talk about? Oh, um, goodness, what do we have uh, here left? I think uh, you didn't talk about the fashion. We need to move on to the to the fashion, John. So one of the things that Kathy and I have been doing over the last few years is trying to help organize the club's banquet, which takes place in February. And we tried to find um, a restaurant that will have us, that will have a mushroom-centric menu really for rowdy. us. Well, you know, we sometimes like to bring in our own mushrooms, too. Which That's true. That's not everybody who does Not everybody that. will do that. And lately we've been trying to do um, something a little bit different for the club because the easiest thing and the most prevalent restaurant is, you know, from sort of Bohemia or Germany or Russia, Russia or Polish restaurants, which love mushrooms, have a lot of mushroom things already on the menu. But, you know, we did a few years of, you know, mushroom Polish and then Czech in a row. And Kathy had uh, lunch with Scott. We had lunch with Scott um, a few years ago at Nuna Kebab, mm -hmm. which is a Iranian restaurant on. I always forget Kedzi. if it's Kibble or Kadzi. It's on Kadzi. Yeah, 
and one of the dishes that we had there, well, she had for her lunch, and then we, when we had the mushroom banquet there, was also on the menu, was a fesenjan. Fesenjan is a traditional preparation, um, most typically with duck, but in modern times, often with chicken. And the way we had it was with the mushrooms. Yes. And it was really my favorite thing when we had the, the tasting menu prior to the, the banquet. And I know a lot of people from the club who did attend that banquet really enjoyed it as well. The recipe has come out in a few of the newsletters, and there are copies of the recipe here. And of course, you could all go to Nuna Kebab and have it prepared by the, uh, the folks there. But we did have samples. Uh, we made the fesenjan in the back there. And it's not a difficult recipe to do. There's a one sort of hard to procure ingredient, which you can make at home. If you cannot find pomegranate molasses. So the sauce, the two base elements of the sauce are walnuts and this pomegranate molasses. This is very tart, as you can imagine. The walnuts are a bit bitter, but they combine together to make a beautiful sauce. So some initial preparation of the dish and then a long cooking to have all of the flavors blend together. Can you pass me the, the mushroom fashion jam sure. recipe? Absolutely. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So with spots on it now. Oh, with spots on it, it makes it more authentic, right? <laughs> so the pomegranate molasses, here we go. If you cannot find pomegranate molasses in your grocery store, you can make your own by buying some uh, pomegranate juice and using one cup of pomegranate juice, reduce it for a really long time on your stovetop until it becomes about five tablespoons worth of pomegranate molasses. Wow. This um, pomegranate molasses, the larger grocery store in this area that carries it frequently is, shoot, I always goof, is it Fresh, fresh Farms Farm. or Fresh Fields? Fresh Farms. So Fresh Farms will carry this. And then if you go to some of the Middle Eastern grocery stores that are near where Nuna Kebab is, this is where this one here was purchased. Much like Kathy's dish with the pickled mushrooms having the cinnamon and the cloves, this one has a nice combination of spices as well. Turmeric, cinnamon, nutmeg, and some ground black pepper. And I hope you'll try it. Um, we've got plenty. And before you leave to have some, and as you're socializing a little bit after the program, let us know what you think. Does anybody think or had the Nuna Kebab um, Fess and John a few years ago would like to try to make it. The reason I ask is that I have um, about enough pomegranate molasses for a short recipe of this. Maybe not the full recipe, but if someone is interested to take this home and try the recipe at home, be happy to send it home with you. No? Oh, there we go. You got a taker? Yeah, I got a taker. Amazing. Because everything else you can find easily, but this one you might have to look for. Okay. You're welcome. Is that, so it's not quite enough. Oh, and is that rice vinegar? That's rice wine. They sell it at the Spice House in Evanston or in Old Town, and they sell online. Okay. Oh.
That's great. Are they finished with the renovation? That's not like when we used to cook what you're doing. You just put this in there. That's never the yeah, well, actually, since they're renovating, also, I didn't want to bring too much equipment. Online sales. I was like, I don't want to lose stuff. That happens. Okay, so because this is going to take. Is it perfect? Wouldn't you use a chicken? Instead of this, wouldn't you use? No, I was just saying you could buy it at another store, the Spice House in Central Manhattan. Yeah, it's a spice shop. Yeah. Yeah. Which also has an online. But I would say that the. Absolutely. You don't want to skip the sugar. It is really essential because you've got the pomegranate, which is puckering tart, and then cooking down those walnuts, it gets bitter. Use the sugar <coughs> in the recipe. A little bit of pomegranate molasses is no secret chili. Is it oh, really? well now. Oh. <laughs> nice. We everybody learned something here. So be careful if we're in a chili oh, cook-off with you. But it's, it's really, I'm, I'm switching this. So I, I basically, it's coming together, sort of, but we could be here for quite a while. Yeah. I think what we should do is, you know, we had a great idea for the um, adding the pomegranate molasses to chili. Does anybody in the audience have some favorite mushroom cooking tips to share with the club? And uh, us. We're always open to learning new techniques and different things that we can do. No? Everybody's shy. Everybody, everyone doesn't want to give the secrets. It's like a mushroom spot. Nobody wants to tell where their mushroom spot is. Ah, there we go. Well, I think the easiest way to, to make any dish a lot better, especially when you're incorporating mushrooms, is using quality mushrooms. Yes. Uh, me and my brother work for a mushroom farm, uh -huh. uh, which is based in Burlington, Wisconsin. And oh, could that be uh, what the... Uh, Yep, I fully agree. And kind of to go um, with what Kathy was saying, you know, she had some dried porcini but didn't really want to give it up to the the cookbook people. I'm going to tell them that, when I see them. You know, they're nice people. <laughs> she but, had know. great mushrooms, but she wasn't going to share with you. No, no. But what I do is, if I've got um, porcini, and I mean, I'm actually lucky because I've got a porcini hunter there in the back corner who shares her, her haul with me, is I'll start off with button mushrooms mm -hmm. and then add just some porcini. And it's so, so powerful that you really don't need that much to really have the flavor. Of course, you're not gonna have the wonderful texture of a fresh porcini, but you'll have that boom aroma. Do you want to talk about this? Oh, well, that is, again, another one of your little tricks of the trade for uh, giving flavor without giving up too much mushroom. Bad coffee? Uh, no. I would say, like, take a dried, dried mushroom, like one of your porcinis, yeah. and grind it up in your coffee grinder, and then sprinkle it on stuff. Sprinkle it into gravies, into soups, into sauces, because 
a little goes a long way. Yeah. And sometimes, I think sometimes these mushrooms dried and then reconstituted are better than when they're fresh. Well, it's yeah, no, no, opinion. No. Porcini doesn't lose much. You know, I don't know that it's better, but yeah. Okay, so what I've been doing, I've been, I'm starting to already doctor this. So, you know, we don't need more just plain duxels at the moment because you're going to have the duxel on the cracker. Yes. You're gonna, you've tasted the duxel on the pizza. So I'm now kind of, because one of the things that I make usually for these events is the mushrooms and sour cream sauce. Except this time I'm going to just do it with the duxels. So for those that like that and are disappointed if we don't make it, it's here. Yes. Uh, so what I've been adding to it is uh, some Worcestershire sauce, you know, umami things, um, some salt, some dill, salt and pepper, of course, uh, and then we're going to add sour cream. It may not even taste exactly like I have in the past, but you know what? It will be close enough and you'll be happy, I hope. It sure smells good. Yeah. Well, it's mushrooms. Does anybody have any questions about uh, preparation of mushrooms or preservation of mushrooms or any other culinary questions? Please. Okay, so uh, three things. First of all, what's your favorite way or favorite hydrator? Dehydrator. Dehydrator. And then um, what's your favorite way to um, rehydrate mushrooms? And then... Uh, pickling, this is I've never pickled mushrooms. Do you cook them at all, or are they always raw? You don't want to eat raw mushrooms, ever. Okay. So Ever. No. So the brine doesn't cook them. So I'll let Kathy answer the pickling question. Okay, so what I did in this case is I prepared the brine, brought it, you know, got it warm, you know, in the pot. Then I put all the mushrooms that I had. And what I did, by the way, is... I didn't make the brine until I had trimmed and weighed all the mushrooms. I had about five pounds of mushrooms. That's when I went ahead and made the, the pickling sauce. And uh, in this case, I heat them through until they're, kind, they're cooked. But, you know, very, you know, not strongly, but they have, you know, they have to have something. And then I uh, take them off the stove, cool them down, and I pack them and put them in the refrigerator. Now. According to Cook's Illustrated, it's like about a three weeks. I've had them longer, but you know. You have more willpower than me. Well, yeah, <laughs> perhaps. Um, but I don't. You can you can pickle mushrooms and can them, but that's a whole other story. Uh, and we're not talking about that today. But if you're interested in that kind of a thing, I can eventually put something together. There you go. The dehydrator question was in, in two parts. So for me personally, I, for culinary purposes, I don't make any big distinction between the various dehydrators that are out there on the market, which you can find at many stores and sporting goods stores. I think what's most important when you are dehydrating is do you use the whole mushroom or slice it. Always recommend slicing it. Not too thin, not too thick. I know that was kind of like a vague answer. Some of that's a little bit of experimentation on your part and how you want the finished product to be. You also want to dehydrate to the maximum because then if you have just a little bit of moisture left in there and then you put them away and then you go back for them later, you're going to be very sad. 
And now, you can test that by sealing the jar yeah. and then looking to see if any moisture is on the interior walls. I have a secret. Go ahead. Yeah. And this is actually my, my mom's discovery. When you get some uh, medicine from the, the pharmacy and they have those little, um, little barrels of silica in there, like the food oh, safe yeah. ones, drop a couple of those into the jar that you're storing it in and it's going to help to pull out any remaining moisture. Just be careful before adding it to the soup. Don't add that part to the soup. It doesn't do anything for the flavor. But, yeah, but when I was a master food preserver, the ideal dehydrator you would want would have a thermostat, would have where you could control the fan speed, but I have never had one of those. You know, honestly... And I've used the oven, I've used the... Uh, <laughs> I even one time, for the heck of it, used the screens from the house. Yeah, screens from the house. Near, if you have some forced air in your house, put it there. Or you can do it the old-fashioned way, you know, like they used to dry apples with a needle and a thread. And then just garland up your house, you know. How long do you have to hang them, suspend them? It's sort of, well, it, it depends on the, how much moisture there was in the, the mushroom to begin with and how much moisture, you know, like humidity, there is in your house. So there's not a good answer. You just have to kind of keep keep checking it until it's dry to your dry, satisfaction. Like crispy dry, is it? Or? Oh yeah, you yeah, want it crispy dry. Really dry. Yeah. And then dry. you want to say, and then you want to um, store it where it's not going to get humid again. And final question was a favorite way to rehydrate mushrooms? Water. Um, <laughs> yeah. Um, not uh, not hot water. Um, just room temperature tap water and do it for a long time and of course that wonderful liquid that it gives off use that in the uh, in whatever you're cooking as well um, making sure that if it's a wild mushroom that you might leave the sediment at the bottom which wouldn't be tasty in your dish yes ma'am uh, please share uh, my technique of marinating mushrooms. Please, this share her technique of marinating mushrooms. Um, uh, I don't, uh, I don't uh, cook marinate. I don't make marinate first and put the mushrooms there because it's very difficult to uh, to get the proportion because mushroom will give up water yes. when they cooking. So usually I cook mushroom first for very short time, like three to five minutes. And I would put on the bottom of the pan water to cover like one third of the mushrooms. Depends on the pan mm -hmm. and depends, doesn't matter how many pounds, but uh, by visually, one third of the mushrooms should be supposed to be covered. The rest is sticking out of the wood. Yeah. So I cook it for three to five minutes until it will just release the water. And then I would uh, get that juice uh, from the mushrooms, and I know exactly how much is it because it's already covered. Yeah, yeah. And then I would add exactly the same, uh, the cloves, the uh, garlic, the pepper, the um, uh, bay leaf. Uh, I, I um, don't usually add uh, any uh, vinegar. I, I would put oh. salt, salt and sugar. But, but I can how are you storing your mushrooms? In, a, in this way, in a, in a, in a, free, in a refrigerator. Okay, because you can. But uh, with, 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 if we would like to, share, to to store it in a in a shelf, yeah, the vinegar, vinegar should be added, and it's supposed to be tightened like we were doing preserved things. Like, yeah, sealing the jar. Yeah, and I would I would uh, sterilize the jar, sterilize the uh, 
tabs and then uh, to, to turn it upside down until it... Oh, yeah, but that's not a, considered a good canning technique. No? No. Okay. No, that's okay. Don't worry. Don't worry. It's just the way it is. How long will I keep in the refrigerator? Over the winter. Over the winter? Yeah. Months. No, two, three months, over the winter. Well, Tony Jandasek, I don't know, I'm sure he's gotten older like the rest of us and he's not, he's slowed down. But that was a guy, he was Czech, and he was a very interesting man. There were several things that were cool. One was how he left Czechoslovakia. Oh, this is a great story. His father was, when the, when the communists came in, his father was a, uh, a journalist. So he was high on the list of people they wanted to arrest. So dad immediately just disappeared. Then they, with some secret correspondence, they agreed on a plan. And what the plan was, his mother, himself, and his sister mm -hmm. took, yeah, took a, you know the story. Yeah, he was my Czech teacher. Yeah, ah, he was wonderful. Yeah, yeah, great guy, right? Uh, and they went to one of the border towns. And they just started to collect mushrooms. And they did get stopped. And they said, but we're here collecting mushrooms, which, you know, everybody understood. It's your favorite patch. You're going to collect mushrooms. And they just quietly walked it to Austria. <laughs> Weren't they collecting those mushrooms for a period of, like, eight hours or something crazy? <laughs> they, they walked a long way, yeah. Did you hear about his father? Did he tell you about his father? So his father then, I think, went into the deli business. Oh, I don't know this part of the story. Part. And his father, was, he, when he died, was found on the edge of a forest preserve with a basket full of mushrooms. <laughs> and Tony's home backed up to a forest preserve. And he used to be yearly on the like Ray Raider show talking about mushrooms and stuff. So he became a pretty well-known guy for his mushroom hunting. So he began mushroom hunting by flashlight. <laughs> he would do things like if he saw a mushrooms but they still were not quite mature enough, he would like put some leaves around them. Great guy. Like, great yeah, guy. and the story about the father passing away at the oh, edge I of the know. woods with so the basket. It was what so a way to go. What we should all be so life. lucky. Well, it's I mean, not on one of our forays. <laughs> yeah. and, 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 then, and then the other thing was um, his wife, Carmela, was the cook. Ah. He would show up with all these mushrooms, and she was the one expected to process them. And, you know, she was like, I want to kill him. Because, you know, he had established recipes. Like if they got the um, puff balls, mm -hmm. they would cut them, like, into steaks. They would take uh, the preserved eggs, you know, like the... Oh, egg beaters. Egg beaters. Dip that in there, put it in breadcrumbs, freeze them on a, on a cookie sheet, and they found that that kept the mushrooms longer, so they had, you know, a few more months to enjoy them. He had also, she did all the pickling. They had a refrigerator in the garage just for all their pickled mushrooms. He lived, he lived the mushroom life. So we're going to continue cooking here and continue kind of taking questions and talking to everyone. I'm looking a little bit on the time, and I want to make sure that everybody has a chance to have some uh, tasty uh, stuff before we have to leave the, the museum. So maybe we can sort of start like people who are in the front of the room can kind of maybe go in the back and have a little bit of something. And then grab and then, some little cups. And, and then kind of like alternate like halves of the, the room. And then in the meantime, does anyone else have questions about preservations or favorite recipes? 